This is Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Master Mover, Dana Wilson. And if you're someone that loves to learn, laugh, and is looking to rewrite the starving artist story, then sit tight, but don't stop moving, because you're in the right place. My friend, my friend, do I have a treat for you today? Oh my gosh. You're going to want to make sure you have a pen or paper or some sort of writing device today, or you could just jump straight to clicking that download button because my guest on the pod today is the one and only Monsell Durden. Monsell wears many, many hats. He's a dancer, educator, historian, ethnographer, documentary filmmaker, and much, much more. Um, he is a fountain of information, and this is information you're going to want to hold on to. So I'll let the conversation speak for itself. I'm not going to give too much of a preamble here. But before we dive into the interview, we're going to share some wins. Yes, if you are an avid listener, you know how important I think it is to celebrate what's going well. And for the last several episodes, we've been doing that at the end of each episode. And you know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put it up front again. So here we are at the top of the episode and here I go. Today I am celebrating the first ever Words That Move Me community group coaching call. It happened just yesterday and I must admit, <laughs> I was more than slightly nervous about this call, which I think is normal when you're doing something that you're really excited about for the very first time. Um, and, and that was definitely this. But I was met by the most incredibly warm assemblage of bright minds and, and curious creators. I'm simply honored to be doing this work with you. So thank you, Words That Move Me community members. I appreciate you. I celebrate you. Um, if you are curious about what that means or how to become a member yourself, check out thedanawilson.com and click on membership. thedanawilson.com, click on the membership tab. You got that. Okay, that's me. That's what's going well in my world. Now it's your turn. Yes, crowd participation. Let's go. What is going well in your world? Phenomenal. Congratulations. Please do keep winning. Okay, my friend, I don't want to wait another second. I am so excited to share the wealth of knowledge that is my guest, Monsell Durden. Enjoy. Monsell Durden, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Um, all right, it is par for the course. This is how we do it here. Take a moment, take take the challenge of introducing yourself. What what would you like us to know about you? Well, my name is Monsell Durden, um, from the East Coast, now residing in California. Uh, dance historian, author, documentarian, researcher, 
Uh, probably a host of other things I can't think of right now. Um, you know, just started my founder of Intangible Roots, which is an educational platform, um, developing programs to, you know, help people learn to build certifications, um, to share knowledge. Um, I'm a professor at the University of Southern California uh, for the Gloria Kaufman International School of Dance. Been there five years. And um, yeah, I don't know, there's a few other things I guess people will learn along this, this journey. Um, so we have a mutual friend. Her name is Arden Flint. She's a USC grad and absolutely extraordinary dancer um, with the kindest heart and it a very bright mind having a conversation with her feels a little like school sometimes I learn so much every time um but before I heard your name from her I had actually heard of this documentary called everything remains raw I didn't know it was you um could you could you tell us a little bit about the doc and what your hopes are for it sure um <clears throat> the documentary uh, the it's to it speaks to and uncovers the genealogy of african-american social dances uh it's something i started in 2003 and continues to work on it uh, it's not just a 90-minute um, documentary but it's my original idea was to have a series and so i'm trying to find the right supporters and backing to bring this film to light it's a ton of research that continues to go on. And um, it's an educational tool that I hope, you know, we'll, we'll either get out to the people one way or another, you know, Netflix or some other streaming service or on television or on the big screen. Uh, but the idea is to really talk about the things that are overlooked in dance practice. Uh, so it's not just about, you know, uh, this time period and, and, and the dances we did, it really speaks to the social, political, economic, environmental, cultural, uh, and spiritual space that inform these dance practices. So I really want to provide a context into the why behind the what. I, I love that you said that. And I think that context is probably the most important missing link to all of the education. And honestly, a lot of the celebration that we're doing this month around Black History Month, I think it's that context that is the most important thing. So mm -hmm. um, maybe let's go back to Arden for a second and USC. Uh, so Arden speaks highly of you. You are a mentor and a friend. And um, she talks a lot about what you did for her and for the program at USC. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what and how you teach there? Uh, so I teach uh, theoretical classes and practical classes. Uh, the theory classes are three lecture courses. I teach African-American dance, what I refer to as an illustrated history. And hip hop don't stop exploring black vernacular dance practice. And currently I am teaching uh, the origins of jazz dance. So those are my three lecture courses. And 
for the elective students, I teach hip hop dance. For the majors, I teach house. So we're, we're kind of set up. I think we're one of the only institutions in America that have six community practitioners from hip hop teaching in one university. It's sort of unheard of. You might get one, you might luck out to get two, but six? That's incredible. And so, yeah, we have it worked out where we're able to focus on different forms under the umbrella of hip hop. You know, first year students come in and they get uh, D. Sabella Grimes um, movement system called Fundamental Metakinetics, where he focuses on hip hop movement, but from a social cultural perspective and really giving you fundamentals. As sophomores see me and I teach house and our juniors are taught by Tiffany Bong and she covers whacking and locking in the social dances of the 70s. And we have Amy O'Neill who works on rhythm structures, improvisation and composition. Mm. Uh, Randy Finkelstein who works on floor movement. Shout out Omega Floor and, Work. <laughs> and uh, she's a, a phenomenal B-girl, but just a phenomenal dancer. Yes. And so she's doing, she's new and she's doing amazing work. And then we have Shannon Grayson, who also teaches the party dances of hip hop. So it's a, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice cohort of community-based folk in the institutions giving real grassroots lessons in what these forms are. Sometimes I'd be remiss to say that sometimes, uh, well, this year I'm working with our uh, theatrical department and teaching authentic jazz to them so that's that's really cool that is that's exquisite i'm happy to hear about the usc family i know a couple students going into the program um and several that are coming up through it and graduating and crushing it in the world um if we could stay on the subject of training for a second um i didn't go to college for dance and i did grow up in a studio setting and um I'm, I'm grateful for my studio teaching experience or, or studio learning experience because I see it as somewhat of a sampler platter, like a little bit of tap, a little bit, well, a lot of bit of ballet at which I did not a lot of bit succeed. Um, a, a lot of bit of many styles, which drove me to pack up my Volkswagen bug and move to LA when I was 18. And I was very fortunate in my timing and placement once I got here um, because I had a very hard conversation with B-Boy KML. I remember it like it was yesterday, who looked me in my face and laughed and said, you are not a dancer. You are a computer. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> you can imagine also his words. He, he didn't say it quite like that. But <laughs> oh, yeah, I, could, I know. Okay. <laughs> so in that moment, I was obviously I felt very exposed. I got extremely defensive, but around that same time, as you should, absolutely. Um, around that same time, I was introduced to Tony Basil. I learned everything I know about locking from her, and for a short time, I studied with Sugar Pop. I learned everything. I I learned everything I know about popping from Pete himself. Like I got very lucky in my timing and placement, and and those people gave me an appetite for 
freestyle in general, um, but for funk styles in the, in the big picture. And right. I knew at that time that Kay was not wrong. Like once those worlds were open to me, I knew he was not wrong. Even in the moment where I was like, you don't know me. I love dance. I have a heartbeat. I'm a person. But I knew I was like, oh, damn, there is more to it than this. And I, I did always felt very uncomfortable when I wasn't being told exactly what to do. So um, one of the things that you talk about is how a lot of dance studios and studio environments offer hip hop to stay competitive. They offer it because they have to, and they find someone who says that they can teach it or has some sort of following. So I wonder, I, I know that I have some teachers listening and I'm wondering what you would say to them, um, words of wisdom or inspiration, or maybe a quick slap on the wrist. I don't know, I'll leave that up to you, but we have a problem in that people who don't know are teaching oftentimes and and how do we solve that problem i'm not sure if i have the answer to how to solve the problem i definitely give slaps on the wrist let's go tough learning that's why we're here why it's <laughs> why i'm here well, you know they i have a lot of so i didn't i didn't go to college and i didn't grow up in a studio in fact, I didn't know people went to studios to learn dance until I was somewhere in my late 20s. Uh, because I grew up in an environment where everyone I knew danced, whether you were two or 82, they danced. They danced on roller skates, they did the dances from their generation. You were not special because you could dance because a six year old will embarrass you and a 50 year old embarrass you and you're 15. It was something that was just done in the community, you know, for most African-American people. Uh, they learn dance that the studio is the living room, is the backyard, is the basement, is the, the party, is at school. That's where you learn dance. And so studios are a business. And in my opinion, they're, they are not about community they may think they are but they're about performing this is the structure of a studio is to teach people forms of movement that don't exist in their environment why else would you need to go study you know if you grow up if you're born in france you don't necessarily go to school to study how to speak french it's, it's, you grow up with it and it's just under, you know, it's, it's understood in the learning process. You're surrounded by it. You know, African children do not have to go to school to learn how to undulate their bodies and do their cultural dances. It's what you see everybody doing, you learn it. But we go to school to learn stuff that is not accessible in our community. It's not our lived practice. Mm -hmm. Ballet is not a cultural practice that has an environment that supports it like Europe does. And even I would argue even in Europe, because we're talking something hundreds of years old, that's really truly speaks to a particular time period that has been reinvented by others and approached in different ways. But the thing, it's a performance. It's not done in a club. You don't learn ballet to go social dancing. You learn it to hit the proscenium and that's where it stays. That's where it lives and you leave it there. And so the idea of Social dancing has been something that has been disregarded in this country 
dating back to the 1870s, where a lot of movements and different organizations and societies were built. You know, you think of the Chautauqua movement that came out that was a summer camp that focused on social decorum for young kids through dance, but it wasn't about the dance. It was about how you use dance to elevate one's status in society. It wasn't so much about the dancing itself or how dancing was used to align people politically, align people economically uh, uh, to, you know, create relationships and what have you. And the studio, though they're not operating in those same ways, a lot of that has been the foundation, if you will. They've uh, a Eurocentric approach that is not necessarily about community, is about one person standing out, that the end goal is to be on stage and to do all these other things. And you know, people are asking me about hip hop in particular, well, where do you see hip hop in 50 years? I was like, I don't really know. But I, what I do know is historically, I expect young black kids to still be dancing. Now, whether or not they can ever get a job, ever be in a movie, ever be on stage, they will still dance. They are not dancing to get to the other side of the room. They are not dancing to be on camera. They're not dancing for any of that. Because if none of that stuff existed, they would still create dances. And you think about a community who does it for, uh, and this could be argumentative, but who purely does it for the love of it. And there's no trajectory, right? I love this dance. I'm going to create new movements because when I was coming up, you had to. If you did a move in the club one week, you better have something different the next week. And so think about kids, kids who go to studios or go to college, spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's like, all right, if you, would you train this hard if you were never going to get paid for it? If you've never had the opportunity to for a job? Now, maybe that's an unfair question, but that's a difference in doing it in the community as just a, a normal way of expressing your everyday lived experience through movement. Um, it is not about the studio practice. And um, I think that there's a disconnect with trying to bring an art form that is not strictly about performance into a space that that's what it's about. That doesn't, you know, most studios, you know, a lot of, they'll have Marley floors. Well, hip hop is an art form. If you wanted to call it an art form that you don't dance on Marley, you dance on hardwood floors. And so some of these studios are not even set up that way. And then even still, oftentimes, if they do happen to have a wooden floor, they might do a performance somewhere that still has Marley. Mm -hmm. So you're not truly set up, you're bringing people into an aesthetic without appreciating the aesthetic that the dance and the environment that the dance comes from and how it moves and grooves. And so I think if studio owners want to have that, they need to understand that technique just means structural alignment. You know, I'm, I'm a trained dancer, this phrase, like every dancer is a trained dancer. They train in the form that they, you know, that they, that they love to do. And, you know, when you think about ballet and you're in a studio learning ballet, you're learning, any, any dance form a person learns, you are learning a social cultural practice. 
Ballet speaks to a particular time period that is based in gestures of that time period, is based in hierarchical thinking from a, a niche community. And this is what the movements are built around. And you have to understand the context of the dance to really move in, in the way that, you know, this is, this, is, this is the meaning and the message of what you're doing. And all dance forms do that. So if you learn, you know, tap, there's a social cultural experience that goes with that. If you learn modern, there's a social cultural experience that goes with that, same with hip hop. And it's understanding it. And so the studios need to understand that if we bring these art forms in, there is proper cultural significance that go with it. And you need to have qualified instructors, you know, but the studios also have an issue with, because it's such, and I don't mean to harp on it on studios like this, but it's such a money game. Cause I used to teach in a lot of studios and you know, you have 21 year olds teach the 15 year olds. The 15 year olds teach the 13 year olds and the 13 year olds are teaching the seven year olds. Are you kidding me? Parents are paying for 13 year olds to teach their five and seven year olds who are being taught by the 15 and six, like it's ridiculous um, because you can't get enough quality teachers to teach those different levels. And I, I would imagine, especially if you're not in a big hub city. Right. Right. So you have to do like, oh, well, you know, these two students are really good. They're the top tier in our studio. So we're going to have them teach the lower students, the younger students. And that's such a disservice because you're, you're being taught by someone who's not qualified, who's growing, mm -hmm. who hasn't developed the skill set to be at a high level as a teacher, what parents should be paying for. You know, studios know that if they don't offer it, the studio down the street will. And so I remember in Philadelphia, a lot of studios, I talked to a lot of owners and many of them thought that hip hop was the new name for jazz. And I'm talking commercial jazz, not authentic jazz. And so they just didn't know. And I've, I've had students at those studios tell me that the owner, they, I, students were asked to teach a hip hop class. And the student would, well, I don't do hip hop. And the owner of the studio would say, well, just do, watch this video and do what they do. So there's no, you wouldn't do that with a ballet class. Right, watch this video and, <laughs> and right. do what they and do. Yeah. But it shows you how little they think of the dance. They think it's, you know, it, it has no structure. They think it has no form. It has no vocabulary technique. And this is what they need to, you know, rethink. Mm -hmm. As my boy would say, recognize. <laughs> um, so not just recognize, but recognize. <laughs> recognize. I love uh, this. You know, so... Uh, and that, that's, you know, that's the, the biggest, I think, struggle that studios have. It's trying to work in this model that has been passed down for performative sense versus something that is based on social engagement. And the two have not had a smooth transition and <laughs> coexisted. Mm -hmm. I, I think if we are to make a dance analogy on the subject of transitions, I think the first essential piece of a successful and smooth transition is simply the awareness. I'm aware of my shoulders and my pelvis in this position in this place, and I know they need to go over here. And I, I hope that this 
episode helps a little bit at very least with that awareness. I, I can't tell you exactly how to transfer the weight. Um, I don't have the, the steps in between, but I, I can hope and thank you Mansell for offering this like moment of awareness uh, in, in your writing in one of the pieces that I read while I was in your course in tangible roots um, you, you explain hip hop as a vernacular form, which really just means that it's indigenous to a particular community and lifestyle. And when we remember that, we remember how much comes along with that. And I think that a lot of people are quicker, faster, more confident to jump to teaching hip hop in general than we are to teaching, you know, this Sudanese dance or this, this Greek dance or something like that but that's really what hip-hop is it really is all of that it has techniques foundations pioneers important people and dates and histories and vocabularies that really are to be regarded revered at very least re recognized <laughs> um so maybe that's a good segue actually while we're talking about meanings and messages and and the breadth of everything that comes along with hip-hop I do want to talk about your course, Intangible Roots. It was a highlight of my 2020, which, albeit uh, that bar was set pretty low, 2020 had some tough, tough times, but I so valued my time in that chair, watching, listening, reading, writing. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we talked about like some of the outstanding things, especially for me, a person who works a lot in the entertainment industry was when you spoke about film and TV and the stereotypes of African-American characters like the Mammy, the uncle, the Sambo. I was like, whoa. And as you were showing these clips from commercials and TV shows and cartoons, it was nonstop bombardment. And that, that shook me to my core. Um, I learned how to more responsibly digest dance media, like little class clips or, or big film dance sequences. So that was super valuable. But I think the, the most new information to me and maybe the most moving as well was this, um, the concept of the circle, the cipher. Mm. Um, so could you talk a little bit about um, ring shouts and this symbolism of the circle? Well, you know, ring shouts as they, as has been suggested was America's first choreography. And Ralph Ellison said that. And what it was, was a way for enslaved people to cultivate community, to cultivate space for their spiritual practice. And- Because they weren't allowed to practice their religion. They, they weren't allowed to practice their religion. They were being taught a different religion, mm -hmm. uh, but they had the wherewithal to, to recognize that the religion that was being passed on or forced upon them was similar in what their belief system was. It just had different languages and different ideas. So through the journals, it, it, it mentions how they likened Yoruba practice to a, a Christ, Christian saint was you know similar to the Yoruba deity, hmm. and they say they sort of undergird their practice um, beneath this Christianity, and gave the appearance of performing Christian belief practices, all the while they're doing their thing, and so 
it also, it's something that gave way to, at the time, what you would have referred to as Negro spirituals, which later we know as gospel. The combining of European hymns, which had no words, to these enslaved African people humming these, uh, these tunes, these hymns, but adding words to it based off of their agrarian practice based off of their lived experience at the time. And this creates the stories uh, that go with gospel, early gospel songs. And the ring shout being something that coming out of Yoruba traditions of a cosmogram, and there are many different shapes of a cosmogram. And the very basic one having a cross with a circle um, around with the cross in the center of the circle. And at the end of each line of the cross is smaller circles, which represent the sun and the trajectory that the sun, the perception that the sun moves counterclockwise. I say perception because in all honesty, the sun doesn't move. Um, no one on this planet has ever seen a sunset or a sunrise. That's just language that we use, but the sun doesn't move, so it can't rise or set. Uh, the, 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 you're actually witnessing, we are actually witnessing the rotation of the earth, but nobody's going to say they went to the beach to watch the rotation of the earth. It <laughs> doesn't have the same <laughs> ring to it. Nobody. Right, not at all. But the ring shout is built on this idea of having uh, the verticality coming from spirituality going into human existence the horizontal plane, which separates those two, those two planes, and the top sun representing high noon, which is male energy, and the bottom sun representing midnight, which is female energy, and the circle representing the water, and the very centerpiece, the cross row is a leg uh, I'm horrible at spelling. I forget some E L L E G B A. I might have that wrong. Well, you might have it wrong, but I have a diagram that I can refer to. <laughs> and I will definitely put a diagram of this in the show notes for everybody who's listening and struggling to imagine. Um, I will absolutely add an image, uh, but carry on. And so, you know, this, if you think about Haitian uh, hoodoo or voodoo or voodoo, um, which is not really the term that was used back then, but is what we find, we connect. And this practice was being done there in Haiti. It is, you know, the center post is the space where it allows the, the, the spirit to come in. Alekwa is a trickster. Um, you know, it's, it's false or, or it's real. And, but then there's the loao, which is the spirit that mounts the body. As they would say, you say mounts the body because it relates to a horse. Uh, a horse with a rider that a rider mounts a horse. So when you say that the loao has mounted a person, it is the spirit that is connected to him. But we speak of that in in Pentecostal or Baptist churches. You speak of that as being touched by the Holy Spirit or catching the Holy Ghost, or you know you have this kind of language. Um, in hip hop, you might say something like you know you blacked out or you went dumb or you're going off is basically the space that a spirit enters into your existence and sort of takes over the movement that you're doing where you don't even realize what you just did. Um, 
the circle in the cosmogram also represents the perimeter of the circle in dance. And then that crossroads in the center is that person that is in the center. And that and the energy that can come from that, the circularity of the people in the perimeter feeding you in the center energy is where, and, and the guidance of the music is where you reach a divine spirit or you can reach divine spirit, which was the whole purpose of this as a spiritual practice in the first place was that the drum, a mambo, which was a, a priest or a priestess was known as a mambo, were the spiritual guides to connect to that, to that other world, right? And it is believed that it is through the water that the spirit can enter into our human existence, hence the separation, um, hence babies being born through amniotic fluid, hence the idea of humans being spiritual beings having a human existence, not human beings having a spiritual existence. So this all plays into that concept. And the circle is a representation of that cosmogram, right? That spiritual drawing. And it does the exact same thing. It, it, it creates that space that allows one to celebrate their individuality while also being attached to the community. And the two feed each other, you know. You, you are part of the community, but we still acknowledge your individuality. So you might be in the center and at some point you come out and someone else goes into the center and they are celebrated. It is also a space of protection where you can see everybody's back and you can warn them of any danger. So again, it's that, it's that way connected to a ring shot where it's, it's, a, it's a, a coming together of a community to cultivate a safe space for them to practice their spirituality. And in dance case, it, it's, the, it's the spiritual connection to the divine through movement and music is it's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not perceived in the same manner, but it, it, the two things are one, one comes from the other. This is exactly why context is important because if, if you are taught to jump in a circle as a, as a 13 year old in a hip hop class somewhere, which I admit I am fully guilty of this. I thought I was doing right by having a freestyle circle at the end of every class. But without any context at all, that circle doesn't feel like a safe or spiritual place. It feels like 360 degrees of eyeballs judging you. <laughs> and I think without the context of what that space can be, what it was created in, or, or intended loosely, I'll say, uh, what it was created to be is something entirely different. I'm so glad I learned eventually what that is. Um, and, and learned this concept of show and prove and became a person who is as comfortable in a circle as I am on a stage doing, you know, predetermined moves at predetermined rhythms. Um, but I think that in, a, in addition to this, like, deeper understanding of the symbolism of a circle, also one of the other things that helped me thrive in a circle or, like, just exist there without feeling like I was going to implode on myself was uh, becoming more familiar with party dances, learning enough social dances that I had a good enough vocabulary to actually deconstruct things and then reconstruct things. Like, I don't, I don't know if somebody would be able to identify that 
I'm doing a, a, a Smurf or a RoboCop because it's that far <laughs> deconstructed something else now. But without those dances, existing in that space was really uncomfortable for me. So I think these party dances um, uh, for a lot of my evolution as a dancer. And I do want to talk about party dances for a second because, oh, by the way, I say party dances, and I, I suppose that's just how many of these dances were introduced to me. Is there a right or wrong social dances versus party dances? If I'm talking about the Cabbage Patch or the Bismarcky or uh, the Prep or the Reebok, are those social dances no, or party dances? No, that language is interchangeable. Um, it's all mean the same thing. I mean, the dance is whatever the name of the dance is. And it is something done at a party, which is a social event. So, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong. It's, okay. That's good to know. I'm glad I asked because there, there are a few um, areas of insecurity that I have. I have definitely been a person, you know, before I moved to LA in my early days who would call somebody a break dancer. <laughs> when people have asked me if I'm a hip hopper, I have said yes. <laughs> and so I'm catching different ways where language can be terribly, terribly misused. Um, and I was wondering if that might be one of those. Okay, so social dance, party dance, thank you, all the dances. But um, what, I, what I'm curious about is this quarantine moment that we're in, all the distance, which honestly, except for maybe the kid in play, I can't think of... Uh, of of a party dance in my vocabulary that requires like a handhold on another person. If we go further back and we start looking at Lindy, Charleston, swing, things like that, very close proximity, like a super close embrace, but we got far apart for a while. And my guess, my romantic hope is that post-quarantine or post-vaccine, post coronavirus that will come back together and that hands hands will touch again and, and we'll be dancing together again that that's my secret hope I guess um other than that there will be dancing which you mentioned there will certainly be dancing do you have any ideas on the social dances or the people that are on the front line of creating them those are young people mm -hmm. you know eight nine, 10, oh. 15, mm -hmm. who are not concerned with holding anybody else's hand. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's understanding the, the, the shift in what partner dancing has become to a degree. Mm. You know, um, Katrina Hazard Gordon has, she doesn't consider partner dancing if you don't touch. And I sort of disagree with that. I understand where she's coming from, but you know, to Lindy, touching your partner, uh, any of the bops, the tango, the, the Philly bop, the uh, DC hand dance in Chicago, step in the hustle, touching your partner. That does not take away the fact that me and another person doing the twist our partner dancing, even though we're not touching. 
right? We are fully engaged with one another, mm-hmm. but not touching. Hip hop was the same thing. If you dance with someone, if they're doing the wop, you're doing the wop. You are connected. You are, it's wireless transmission, as my boy Sabela would say. You pick up on what they're doing and you join in. It's a call and response um, that gets that going, but then there's a togetherness. So even though, you know, you're not touching, you're still dancing with someone. I love that argument. And that argument gives me hope for the rest of my lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, you know, hustle made a huge resurgence. Everybody's doing the hustle. So I'm sure the hustle community is definitely gonna be out there. Uh, People are going to be taking partner dances and salsa and and everything else that'll definitely grow. Um, And then people will be even though they're not touching, communities of dancers will be looking forward to going back to the parties and being collectively together, hearing the same music, sharing the same vibe, doing the same. So it's it's just, you know, what you want to focus on. I would not focus on the fact that they're not touching, but they are together. And, you know, if you really want to get philosophical, everybody's touching through the air in the first place. If there's air, we are touching. Let's go on the particle level. Right. (laughs) When people talk about the the senses of the body, (laughs) they talk about, they they get to touch, right? You know, smell, hear, see. They get to touch. But I'm like, if if you stand outside and the wind blows, you feel it but nothing touched you. So you got to expand your idea of what the senses are, what touch actually is. I, I, I really do think that togetherness is starts here. And yeah. so we can dance here on a Zoom call and have a sense of togetherness uh, without touching. It's, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I, I don't want to... Um, bamboozle your time this evening, but I do, I, I forgot to ask one thing right at the top. So maybe we'll end uh, with with sort of the beginning. I would love to share a little bit of the etymology of the words hip hop. It's one of my favorite things that I learned from you. Um, and being a person all of 34 years old, the, the meaning of the word hop to me meant like, you know, to jump. But I've been around long enough to know that uh, like a sock hop or to <laughs> hop till you drop or hop around the clock, like I know that that means dance. But I was really fascinated to hear the etymology of hip or it, I, I believe it started as hep, H-E-P. It started as hip, but it became hep mm. um, a little later on. And in fact, the word hip, according to John Leland, who wrote a book called Hip the History, uh, he did research suggesting that the word hip goes back to Wolof speaking people in West Africa and that the word hippie means to open one's eyes, to be aware of something. And the word hip was popularized in America, at least according to research, around the 1800s, sort of jumping through some of the time periods 
its popularity in the 40s when it was spelled with an E. You were a hep person, which meant that you were aware of what was going on, that you knew what was in fashion and what clubs were hot and where you go to eat and what band was good. You knew you were hep to what was going on. By the 60s, it turns back into an I, so it's hip. And there's a sense, again, there's still a sense of awareness because even when they talk about the hippie community of the, of the 60s, they try to paint them as these like tie-dye, free love, get high people. But you're still talking about people who were conscious enough to fight against the war, who, you know, women's movement was like, let's burn these bras, let's like this sense of free, like they knew what was going on in government and politics, they were hip to what was going on. And usually when people are hip to what's going on, they try to paint them as crazy. In 70s, you still have the word hip. As you were mentioning, hop in America in the 20th century was always synonymous with dance. You know, let's go to the hop meant yeah. let's go to the dance. Uh, hop around the clock meant to dance beyond midnight or dance all night. You know, people of that generation would go to a sock hop where you take off your shoes and you dance in your socks. So hop was to dance. One of the earliest records to sort of have a play on the words hip and hop was- uh, Oh, uh, Delight, Rapper's Delight? No, 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 that's way later. That's way oh, later, that wasn't until 79. Yes, bring me the um, knowledge. Yeah, that wasn't until 79. That was, they were really late to the party. Okay, dang. There's another record. I, there's two records. One accidentally puts the two words together. So it's uh, uh, Scatman Crothers' 1956 or 57 song, Sweet Lips, where he just happens to, he's, he's naming these things like he wants. I want to flip, flop. Like, yeah, rappers are like, they didn't get it until the 70s. And so it basically means you, everybody can have their interpretation of it, but hip is a word that meant to be aware of, to be knowledgeable of something. Mm -hmm. And hop was just synonymous with dance. But that is the etymology of those two words as they are being used. It was Keith Cowboy that actually brought up that phrasing by accident when a friend of his, I can't think of his name, was going into the armed services. And at a party, it was Keith Cowboy that was saying, you better, you know, you better, something to the effect of like, you know, you better live it up tonight because to, tomorrow morning it's going to be hit, hop, hit, hop, hit, like that ah, cadence. Ah, the right? march. Right. Yes. And so then Lovebug Starsky takes it on and then develops it into the phrasing of hip hop. And then, you know, then we find it, we hear it in Rapper's Delight. But that's, I mean, that's basically, you know, what that is. And the, the fact that the name has, the, the, that hip hop culture is named hip hop culture was also purely accidental uh, based on a 1981 January issue of The Village Eye that came out where Michael Hallman did an interview with Africa Bam Bada and asking Bam, you know, what the what this bubbling culture was, what this new thing the kids were in. 
Bam didn't have a definition. So he just started reciting Rapper's Delight. And, and Michael and then Holman, it was written. <laughs> right, and it was written. So, and then there it is. But purely accidental. And because it was Africa Bambata, it, you know, I, he brought some levity to it, so it stuck. And um, but yeah, that's 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 the that's it in a nutshell. Incredible, I I love it, and I would love to talk more. But I would really love everybody who's listening to go find more of you, your lessons, which is way, way deeper than anything. I would say we barely scratched the surface in our conversation today. Um, so can you tell us a little, oh, I registered for um, Passion Fruit Seeds, which starts in the middle oh. of February. If yeah. you are listening to this on the day of its release, you still have one day to register. I'm going to link to the registration page in the show notes of this episode, but Monsell will be a contributing educator at that event, uh, Passion Fruit Seeds. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about Intangible Roots? When will your next course be? The I'm developing that now. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm definitely going to do another summer in July. Amazing. And I'm actually working on a six-week course. I don't know if I'll be able to introduce the six-week course this coming summer, uh -huh. but certainly I'll do another four classes. So Intangible Roots will be out uh, as a course, the summer sessions. There will be, um, I'm doing another film screening the last day of this month. Uh, so advertisement will go up on Instagram, will go up on Twitter, will go up on Facebook. I will be sure to uh, share and reshare and include that in special bulletins to all ye as well. Um, Monsell, how do we find more you? Where uh, follow followings and websitings? So pretty much everything is my name, Monsell Durden. Uh, my Instagram account is Monsell Durden. <laughs> my my clubhouse account is Monsell Dirt. My uh, um, Twitter is Monsell Dirt. My webpage is MonsellDirt.com. Uh, <laughs> Facebook is the only one that's different. Facebook is Monsell Il Cosby Dirt. And, um, and I have a new website, IntangibleRoots.com, that I haven't. I haven't started developing yet. Okay. But you can things get posted on my website, things get posted on Instagram. Those you definitely want to check back and forth on those. The um the other platform I'm I'm engaged with now is Clubhouse. And it's it's basically uh it's basically a open line conversation, you know, it's all, completely audio. You can't see anybody, they can't see you. And um I started, I started a talk last night called uh, Black Social Dances, History, Heritage, Stories, and More. And I'm gonna do one every Monday. I do believe I said eight o'clock, which I'm gonna have to shift if I did say eight o'clock to nine o'clock uh, because I'm still teaching my lecture course at eight o'clock. Oh. And so I'm, yeah, I'm gonna have to make that change. <laughs> but um, yeah, people can find me there and 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 instagram and i might do some film screenings of different documentaries uh maybe two a month over the next couple of months to get ready for the summer oh that's huge and, um, 
that but I'm trying to my plan is to speak to the directors of each of the films so if I can set that up then that's the plan um and now those will be free on zoom and uh yeah just look for me on instagram look for me on uh uh on my website and and the website will always post the next classes for intangible roots incredible well i will be sure to link to all of those places um and I really do hope that everyone who's listening continues this deep dive. Uh, there's, there's so much to be learned. Um, really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here, Monsell. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Well, there you have it. I hope that this episode has inspired you to dig in and dig deeper into your dance history into your personal history, into the history of whatever craft it is you are practicing. I hope that you seek more than names and dates as you're studying. It really is about context. It's about meaning. It's about the message. And I am so grateful for Monsell for sharing his message today. Again, all of the links to Monsell's work, his projects, his workshops will be found in the show notes to this episode. And that is it for me. Get out there and keep it funky. I'll talk to you soon. Me again. Wondering if you ever noticed that one more time almost never means one more time. (laughs) Well, here on the podcast, one more thing actually means two more things. Number one thing, if you're digging the pod, if these words are moving you, please don't forget to download, subscribe, and leave a rating or review because your words move me too. Number two thing, I make more than weekly podcasts. So please visit thedanawilson.com for links to free workshops and so, so, so much more. All right, that's it now, for real. Talk to you soon. Bye.